Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to Wednesday night's Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today I'm with Jason Lala. Jason and I were on the U.S. Disabled Ski Team together. He has one of each medal. So he has a gold medal from Nagano, a silver and a bronze from Salt Lake City in 2000. In Nagano, he was actually part of a U.S. sweep. So, so as he was telling me before we got on, he said, "Yeah, it's kind of it was kind of it was great, but it seemed like I was just racing against the guys that I'd raced against back in the U.S." So, so was it anticlimactic for you to for you to actually win that gold medal in Nagano in 1998? No, not at all. I mean, it was. Uh, I jokingly say that, but it not even close because you know we we talked earlier, and, and I was rookie it was I think one of one of my first international competitions um, leading up to it the way everything was at that time it was it was five people on the team in my class which was the LW2 meaning I, I ski on a single ski uh, standing up with without riggers so there was five people from the U.S. competing for three spots and I got bumped from the downhill which I was pretty pretty upset about well and uh and my parents were over there my aunt was there and I'm like wait a minute this isn't going how I thought it was going to go um and then yeah, after so it's a two run, two run event with combined times and after that first run I came down and I was in second place which I was kind of shocked at you know so then it was like okay there's like I just gotta stay standing up so but regardless, it was it was not anticlimactic at all. And Japan, as you, I mean, that was just awesome. Japan was awesome. Can I can I draw a little bit little bit of a picture for our audience? So so you said you were the rookie. You came in. Menino was was the guy who'd been there forever. Was yeah. was the gold standard in a lot of ways, and he was like a one legged Arnold Schwarzenegger, basically. I said I believe at the time. I believe his quad, his leg, I believe measured 30 inches in circumference. 30 inches in circumference, just one. One leg, yeah, which is bigger than my waist, I think, probably at the time. And then you had Monty, who is Monty Meyer, who is from Minnesota, who is a you know farm kid from Minnesota, so like farm strong, like just, he was, he was another stout, strong guy. And then you had Kosick, who was one of the other kids, one of the other three trackers. We call what Jason's class was three trackers because they have two outriggers and one ski. And Kosick, you know, Kosick, he seemed like he was coming out of the, out of the weight room all the time. I mean, like Kosick's constantly coming out of the weight room. And as I remember, you were like the, you were like the stick finger, stick figure version of these guys I mean you were you were the skinny guy compared to these guys but then going to Nagano you were just getting this angulation that nobody else was getting it was just it was eye-opening and you had to go through a fairly long process to get there right so so when did that breakthrough happen for you and when that happened did you think Hey, you know, these guys might be a little bit bigger than me, but I think I might be able to take them down. 
When did that happen? Well, as I had said earlier, you know, you, you had, prior to your injury, you had grown up ski racing. And I grew up playing hockey. I was like, happy Gilmore. I'm a hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but because of my background in skating and, and, you know, we did so many drills on a single skate through cones, frontwards and backwards and things of that sort, that transitioning onto a ski was, was relatively easy in a sense. Like my balance was good and everything else, but I did not know anything about ski racing. And I was like a Yahoo skier, just go as fast as I can all the time, which is how I ended up in this scenario. Um, but the, you know, the, we'll, the breakthrough, we'll get to some of that. Yeah. yeah, the breakthrough. And I remember there was a camp in Waterville Valley. And I think you have family members that, that volunteered there for years. Um, and there was a camp there and Greg Menino was supposed to be there. And Sarah Will, and I can't remember if you were or not, but Mike Brown, who was the, the coach at the time. So it was like, you know, all these top guys. I'm like, well, I'm going to go to that. So this is 97 then, right? So Nagano was 98. Was this 97? No, that was 94, 95. 94, 95. Okay. Yeah. All right. So basically I, I went to this camp and I told myself, like, if I'm going to do this, I want to be the best. And at the time, all you guys were living in Vail. And so as naive as I was, I was like, well, if I want to be the best. I got to train with the best. So I got to move to Vail. So I literally just like the day after the camp ended or the day that the camp ended, Mike Brown said, if you're ever out in Vail, any of you guys, you can join and train with us. I met with him afterwards. I said, I hope you're serious because I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. My car, everything's packed. I'll be there in like five days. And, uh, Duty Brownie's organizational skills, you know how that kind of <laughs> went. But we had an event at Winter Park, and I, my times, because I chose to kind of chase you guys and, and train with the best, I knew in training and everything, my times were getting closer and closer. And while I was miles away to begin with, they were getting closer. And we had, I think the 97 season, we went to Winter Park for a race, and it might have been the, the – um, Columbia Crest or whatever it was. And, right, uh, Columbia Crest Cup, yeah. I believe I beat, actually I know, I beat Greg in a Super G. And he was a speed event skier. And as you said, like they literally jokingly called me Stick Boy because if his quad was 30 inches around, mine was like you know, 22 maybe. I was going to go teens, but okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. When you first showed up in Vail, you were really skinny. Yeah. You definitely, you definitely put, put on some weight between. But yeah, a little bit. And I remember um, one of the staff members at the time who everybody called Stoney. He was a, a Vietnam vet who had been with the team for years. And he's kind of, everybody knew he was kind of a hard ass straight shooter. And he's like, you know, and I was going to the gym. I've just, I've never been able to put on hold, you know? And he was like, you got to get stronger. He's like, and you know, he was getting his ass kicked. And then he just decided he was going to get stronger than everybody else. You got to do that. Well, I'm trying, coach. <laughs> and um, But I always kind of felt, and, and in the later years, like skiing with Monty, like, you know, I always felt that my, my strength to weight ratio was pretty good. So I was skinny, but I wasn't carrying any body fat either. And um, so I could, it worked. Whatever it was, it worked. Well, it was, it was the angulation, though. I mean, the angulation was totally different. I remember we must have done a camp that year at Loveland 
I think it was it was uh, early season camp at Loveland. And I remember watching you ski and go, wow, that looks different. That's, yeah. And maybe it was right before we left. I don't remember. It, it could have been. And it was, you know, that transition, you know, for, the, for people that are maybe involved in ski racing today, you probably hear stories about straight skis. And, um, and that was right when I started is when equipment started to transition into quote unquote shaped side sets, side cut skis. Well, now things have kind of gone back the other way, but I struggled. Like when I started my racing career, I was on a 205 slalom ski and like a 220, I think downhill ski. And then the trend was a more side cut, which allowed you to make bigger angles, I think, but you also maybe didn't have to be quite as strong, perhaps. Um, you just got that thing on edge and they would, they would come around like it was great. And, and that, that was huge. So while I started on a 205 slalom ski and 220 downhill ski, when I finished my career, due to the rule changes, I was on a 165 slalom ski and a 205 downhill ski. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how much things had changed. But th that equipment revolution, if you will, which goes back to Bodie Miller and, and all of that, um, really made a big difference. Yeah, it allowed you to get those angles and to run the line that you wanted to run and be able to hold it. You didn't necessarily have to be as crazy strong to, to make the ski bend as you had before. Exactly. I didn't weigh a lot. And, you know, those guys, I'm sure, were strong. Yeah, they were stronger than I was. So, yeah, that whole, you got to drive the front of the boot, get the ski to bend. I was like, eh, that's not really working. But when it, with that side cut, you could make almost more of a lateral move. And, uh, and yeah, and just, it was skiing clean, basically. And, yeah, it was huge. It worked. This, this program is based on our educational program. And, and I often say to the kids, the greatest risk you take is take no risk at all. Like when you're going through school, if you never try, you know, if you're following everybody all the time, it's so easy to finish school and somebody says, hey, Jason, you can do whatever you want to do. And you're like, I don't really know what I want to do because I've been following everybody the whole time. You, you were great when it got really nasty too. Like, like when there were bigger risks, that's when, that's when you really enjoyed it. I remember you guys did a downhill, an able-bodied downhill at, uh, at Snow Basin. And so this is prior to the 2002 games. Yep. And what I think it was, because there were a bunch of you, and I think, I think Kosick was the one who broke the, broke the streak or something. As a story, as I remember hearing it, that there were like 30 kids in a row who'd all blown out. Yep. And then there's one legged dude came down and and actually finished the course and the coaches were like what's going on like like this guy he has one leg he just finished it but I remember you saying that you absolutely loved that like that that was that was the women's course at Snow yeah. Basin which was which was just which was a real downhill course and the conditions were all chewed up you guys were running at the back of the pack right and what what made it that when when you had to take the risk why, why were you better? Um, well, as I, as I said before, and we'll probably get into it a little bit more, but I, I lost my leg due to a motorcycle accident. And we'd be, oh, that's, that's too bad. I'm like, no, it's not a sad story. <laughs> like, 
I'm an idiot. I was going a hundred and something miles an hour passing like five cars. Like I was, and at that time I was 18 years old and you know, I, I'd grown up riding motorcycles and it was all, like, that wasn't scary to me. Like I, I liked going fast and I, I liked taking those risks. And even you know, my perspective has dramatically changed more with age, not even necessarily the accident. But point is, um, even when I got into ski racing, like I knew, I knew nothing about ski racing, like nothing. Um, I was, I was smaller, you know, no experience, but I was just like, you know, and I'm, I am competitive. So it's like, I'm going to, in my brain, I'm going to get into people's heads. I'll just be crazier than, than anybody else. Like I'll be the one that I don't care. Like I'm just going to send it and someone's going to be like, well, you know, whatever it was that I thought might distract or disrupt someone, but I, I didn't mind that. Um, and I, I how does that, how does that work? Cause Cause I, you know, I remember you, you do, I mean, I remember it really when it got nasty. I mean, it's, and it is when you said, this is it. And I remember also when you showed up in Vail, you introduced yourself and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an extreme skier. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay. Okay. Like, cool. Good. Good. Who is this guy? What's going yeah. on? What, what, how can you perform in those times when, when it is scary. Well, I mean, so now my son ski races, right? And and I have a 16-year-old son and I have a 13-year-old daughter. And so they ski race, he, he, he plays lacrosse, he plays soccer, uh, he mountain bikes. So we do various different sports and they're outdoor sports. And I've always kind of felt like those days when you're training and, 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 and skiing, like when, what's the worst when it's raining? Who, who, who skis in the rain? That's just stupid. Why? Because it's miserable. You can't see. And everybody's miserable. And as soon as you're miserable, and that gets into your mindset, you're done. And I, I've always kind of felt like you got to learn to love that. And you just need to love it a little bit more than everybody else that hates it. Because they're already, they're already done. And if you can convince yourself that I love this and I'm, this is not going to affect me. You have an advantage there. And, and, and I think that holds true for anything, you know, um, you look at like military guys and that mindset and where they perform and, and where, where they go mentally to get through that stuff. I mean, it's your, your mind and your mindset really, truly dictates your your success your ability to succeed so that was kind of it like it was miserable yeah everybody was miserable but if everybody's miserable and everybody's scared and i just tell myself well i'm gonna be the one i'm gonna try not to be miserable and scared there's risk involved but is that the story that you tell yourself that hey everybody else is miserable i'm just gonna be the one who's not miserable and it's almost like like it just sort of fits like the pieces kind of fit and you go okay now i'm happy now i'm now i'm ready to go charge because everybody else is miserable right yeah and i hated it just as much as everybody else <laughs> but you just gotta you know of course nobody loves that but but there is a yeah you know there is a, a degree of that and and part of it too again when i was 
injured, all of, all of my friends, like when I moved out west, out to Colorado um, early on, because I was kind of there twice. This is it's kind of a long story, so I don't know if we want to get into that. But I had a lot of friends from back east in New Hampshire that had moved out there. And they were all snowboarders. And I actually snowboarded for like two years before I got hurt. Um, partly because I convinced my parents that while we didn't have enough money and buying ski equipment was really expensive, like I wouldn't outgrow a snowboard. Like I just have to get one and then that would be it. So anyways, but that whole snowboarder mindset, was, it's, it's very different. And the whole, that comment about, oh, I, I don't know if I said I want to be an extreme skier. I probably said I'm more of an extreme skier, but still makes you sound like a clown in the ski racing world. But, but it was... Like every, all these guys, that's all we did was like, we would go from one jump to one cliff to one wind lip to and all day long and jump off things and try to do 360s and backflips and all of that kind of stuff. And, and so that was also, I think, what gave me confidence in a sense that when those conditions, that's what I skied in was crud and junk and trying to do that kind of stuff. So it didn't bother me, I guess, as quite as much as someone who maybe grew up. I mean, I don't know how much free skiing you did as a kid, but these days it seems far more common that, you know, kids that train in ski racing, it's like they put on their boots and they run the course and then they're done. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to ski bumps. I don't want to do this. And there's, there's, there's uh, advantages to, to doing that stuff. And there's your balance and everything else. And you, improves from doing that so at least that's what i thought i'm with you i always thought that the mountain was the best teacher and and you go out there and you ski everything on the mountain you're talking about crud skiing powder skiing bumps those kinds of things for me as a mono skier and i look at it now and i've said it to numerous people who are skiing in the paralympics because the mono skiers now go last in slow yeah. yeah and i was like well it doesn't even make sense for you to go and, and run a course like go, go ski bumps, like go ski bumps. This is going to, this is especially like a place like Sochi or something like that, where it was so soft and yeah. it was just so skied in that, that it was just, you're going into one bomb hole after another kind of thing and, and trying to get out. How does it, you said you took some unnecessary risks as a, as a kid. And I think you were talking about at one point that, that like when you had your accident, that it was it was trying to break your record going from your house to the lake or something like that or whatever. And and obviously I, I think that there are some significant changes that you've made since then. How does that kind of stuff inform the way that you teach your son, who's a who's a ski racer too, reining him in, but wanting him to take the risks at the same time? Well, thankfully he he's a little bit more calculated um, than, than I was. And which is, like I said, thank God. Uh, so he, he's the kind of, but it, it, on some, in some ways, it holds him back and I see it and I know it because he, he has to be absolutely sure that he can do it before he'll do it. Like, which is safer, absolutely. Um, but you're not, maybe pushing the threshold quite as much. Now he still does very, very well. Um, you know, he's, he's good, he's a very good ski racer. 
huge angles. That's what everybody says. It's funny. That's what everybody says. All his coaches say nobody makes angles like he does. He's just huge angles. Um, and he's fast. But, but yeah, I mean, there is there, – it, it's a fine line. You know, you listen to uh, – they had an event at Sunnaby a couple of years ago, Bodie Fest, and I ended up, you know, racing against him for this fundraiser thing. But he did a Q&A for like an hour or so afterwards, and he talks about that. And you – if you listen to pro athletes, especially speed skiers, they talk about, you know, that risk. I was willing to take more risk here. Or this is where – and it's – everybody – Everything is so good, and if you, as you well know, you look at like how, like training regimens and the equipment and the diet and the science behind it, and and like I joked earlier, I was like, you know, like Chris, Chris raced on a pogo stick. I mean, the thing was deadly. It was an ejection seat. It was a single swivel launch pad with a shock underneath it that nobody knew how to tune. You know, so everything you did in that thing was a risk. But, um, but now everything is so dialed and everybody is so good that you have to be willing to get uncomfortable and that's either conditions or your line or whatever that is, but that separates that last final percent. That, that's the guys that are stuck at the Noram level versus the guys that are at the World Cup level guys were winning it's it's an interesting thing because it translates into the rest of our lives too right i mean the whole idea of skiing well is this idea of letting go and right. and it's really hard because what happens is each time you come to the bottom you meet with your coach the coach tells you what you did well what you didn't do well so then you're going back up to the top with this idea of perfection it doesn't happen in any other sport really I mean, you might get a little bit of coaching here and there, you know, if you're playing lacrosse or if you're playing baseball or something, but skiing, it's like, okay, you're, you get that whole lift ride and you're like, all right, no, I'm going to do it this time. And it's so easy to be in your head, but then to let go and to let go and sort of let the athletic side of who you are. I often talk about it for me, training was about teaching instinct. And, and if I could teach my body what to do, then when it mattered, then I could just forget it and just go. And, and it's an interesting thing. And I remember, I think I remember this correctly. I think your son was racing in like U14 or something like that. And they had, they had like the obstacle course part of it. Is this right? And, and, and so, and he crashed like the first run or something like that. And then had to go through. And I don't know if this was your idea or if it was his idea or how it worked, but, but I think I remember you saying that, that he went and threw a helicopter off the bump and, and yeah, yeah, just yeah. kept going. <laughs> like, yeah, you'll get recognized kind of thing. You know, it's kind of, you grew up as a hockey player. Who is it? I mean, like, like Bobby Orr and uh, Derek Sanderson, right? Derek Sanderson's father, they were going to some like junior, junior event right before they were getting drafted. And his father said to him, he's like, well, they're going to remember Bobby Orr and the guy who gets in the fight with Bobby Orr. <laughs> and that right. was kind of right. Right. That's like the prison mentality. Like, you know, you go to jail, you're supposed to punch the biggest, biggest guy, I guess, who knows, but, but so you touched on something that, and that's uh, something again, because I, I coach and have kids and, and I think it is a very important message. And so I've coached lacrosse as well as ski racing. You talked about training as um, 
teaching your body how to react like muscle memory basically and one of the big things in it and again it it goes for every aspect in your life is that no matter what you do and how you do it the more you do it you're you're teaching your body to you're teaching yourself to do it that way so point being if you train half ass if you you're teaching that's if you don't go 100% now there there are times where you're supposed to you know you need to, there is a bit of an ebb and flow there a progression sometimes where you're going from here to there and taking the logical exactly. steps, right? But if every time you go out there and, you, you know, for ski racing, for example, and you just get in line, you know, okay, it's my turn, you go down, you go through, and you don't get in that gate and, and focus and breathe and think about the spots that you're going to nail and whatever that is, that's what you're training yourself to do. And you can't expect, if that's what your training re regimen is on game day, race day, whatever it is, that all of a sudden you're going to flip the switch and it's going to work. It won't, you know? And, and so, you know, I was, I'm a competitive person to a, sometimes to a degree where I'm not a, you know, I'm not a in competition. I'm not a great person necessarily. <laughs> um, and that was that way in hockey. I, you know, I was, I could be nasty and, but I was, I'm competitive and I just, and again, it's whether it's studying for a test or, or whatever that is, the more you do something, that's your, that's your default. That's where you're going to end up, basically. And the more you do it well, the more you ingrain that. So that is your default, where then you don't have to think about it. Whereas if you've been half-assing it, then you come in and go, okay. So you know, th that's where you're going up the lift and you see somebody do it well. And you yeah. go, oh, yeah, yeah, I should do it like that today. Yeah, good yeah. luck. That's going to work yeah. out well. Yeah, yeah, you might get lucky. But as a rule, um, yeah, as a rule, that doesn't work. And so that's, you know, I, I try to ingrain that, you know, with, with kids, my, my own kids, kids that I coach is like, look, you don't need to be serious all day long. Like, you can ride the lift. You can, this is supposed to be fun. But there's got to be a time where you buckle down and focus in because that, that's what's going to pay off in the end. There, so, there is a fun aspect of it, too. I skied with a couple of guys at Middlebury, and you got, you know these guys, like Nate and Davey Bryan. Yeah. Yep. Davey, I remember Davey and, like, you know, we're running GS or whatever, and there was a bump in the middle, and he'd just go and just pop the bump in the middle right. of a GS, you know, just pop it. And, and you know, you're thinking, oh, no, no, you've got to, you got to press it. You got to stay in contact. And it's like, you know, there are times also that that's actually good training because it's putting you into a bad position. Right. And in races, you're often getting, you're getting put into a bad position. It's like, have fun with it and, and do what you're supposed to do, get after it. But sometimes it's also utilize that. How do your kids that you coach, how do they look at you? Like there's this, there's this one-legged dude showing up who's gonna, who's gonna coach them. And I'm like, you know, what, what's up with that? <laughs> Who is this guy? Well, it's always, it's always kind of funny because, you know, I, I coach the U14 age group. So I have, I have most of the kids for two years. And some of them, you know, it's Mount Sunapee, it's a small mountain, it's a big program. But my kids are in the program and, I kind of assume everybody kind of knows, but not everybody knows. And, and when I say that, so oftentimes when I coach, 
I don't take my prosthesis off. So I'm wearing full length pants. I have one ski boot on and I'm skiing with poles on one ski. And every, like you get these looks and the lift attendants or what happened to your other ski? And I always have some smart aleck answer for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then, and then once they kind of realize, like all of a sudden one day <clears throat> I'll show up and the legs off and okay, now I'm like, I'm really skiing, you know? Get crowd riggers instead of poles. Yeah, the kids are always, I can always tell, you can feel the looks kind of, you know, and, and, but then they see, you know, I still, I still ski well and, and, uh, and then they just try to coach them to the fact that like all of, all the principles are the same. You know, it's like we're still, whether I'm doing it on one ski or two skis, it is hard because of a visual image is obviously different, but, but the principles and the concepts are all the same. Well, also some things you can't get away with that they can get away with. Cause you being a one-legged skier, you have what effectively is your outside ski. And then you make the next turn on what is your inside ski. And as we grew up on straight skis, you really were not supposed to ski on your inside ski. We'd lift the ski up oftentimes and, and you'd try to be on the almost all your weight on the outside ski where you have to do physically, you have to, you have to contort your body and be technically more sound to be able to make that turn on the inside ski. Can they, can they see that? Well, yeah, to, I think to some of them, you know, again, you're dealing with what, 12 and 13 year olds. A wide so, range of kids, right? Yeah. I try to make up all the excuses. And, but you're right. I mean, on a single ski, you know, more I've thought about it over the years and, and even early on, it's like you're actually skiing probably a longer distance for that same line, you know, whether you're on a mono ski or, or a stand-up single ski, because where you can unweight in your your base of stance is, let's say, a, a foot. When you're transitioning onto that next ski, you know, you actually have to get, let's just say our bindings. We have to get it to that, that foot distance. So on every single turn, you're really skiing like an extra foot, probably. Right. I would, I would imagine. So, uh, but to your point, yeah, like getting in the backseat, you know, recovering from there is far more difficult. And I have, so now by profession, I am a, a prosthetist. I make and fit artificial limbs, legs, and, and things like that. And uh, I have a, a patient of mine who we started seeing when he was 15. And he was one of the top-ranked skiers in the East. Uh, went to Burke. Uh, he was good. I saw a video. Burke Mountain Academy, good. one of the best and places, yeah. He was, he was legit. Um, and he ended up losing his leg skiing. Um, ended up getting cut off and hit a tree. So I coached him for a few years and he never was able to make, for a while the goal was to get on the US team. And he, he could never make that leap because he admittedly growing up, he skied very wild, but he was able to make recoveries and he, also very competitive. He just never would back off enough to allow himself to learn how to make that recovery, if you will, on a To be in control and technically sound. Yeah. You can't pull yourself out of certain positions just with one leg. It's just, it doesn't work. And he, it was also interesting because as you know, in the adaptive world, a lot of people come from 
like no skiing, no ski racing background. And they're like, they don't know how to ski. So as they're learning how to ski, their speed is increasing and their body is adjusting to be able to adapt to that. In this kid's case, he could arc a ski like, like no other, I mean, like from day one. But because he could go, like he would go, he'd be the fastest kid on the mountain, I swear. Like I'd probably like world-class fastest kid in the Paralympic classes probably for three gates. <laughs> and then it <laughs> was just- a problem. Yeah, because he just he get going so fast, and he just didn't have that recovery ability. So, anyways, yeah, it's there's there's some increase. There's a there's a lot of challenges with that. A lot of challenges to coaching. You said before that 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 sometimes you give the smart aleck responses to to the lift attendants, and I think the first time I had seen three trackers like at nationals, I went to my first nationals, I went to a few races and I saw them, but I didn't really interact with them until I went to New Zealand the summer after my first year skiing. And I went to New Zealand with a group from Winter Park. And I was on a lift with Matt Garriak, who was a, yep. a three tracker from California yep. who skied on the US team. And we're going up and some guy turned to him and he's, and Matt's there, you know, one leg amputated above the knee. And the guy said to him, you know, what, what happened? And Garyak without missing a beat said, uh, Frisbee accident. <laughs> and, and that was, that it ended the conversation. He didn't give any follow-up answers, anything. And the guy's just like, what do you, what, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> like, like, like razor blades on the Frisbee? Like what, what, Wait. How does this work? What's the what's what's the most bizarre answer that you've given somebody when they give? Because sometimes it's like it's like what happened, and 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 the question is what happened to you? You know, it's not like who are you? It's like what happened to you? I want to know your story right now before I even know who you are. And so right. you've given some smart aleck responses. What what is the best one? I guess it just depends on how uncomfortable I want to make them. <laughs> So like probably the most uncomfortable, like, you know, would be just, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean what happened? Like, because they don't know about your leg. Do you mind talking about it? Yes. <laughs> I'm being a jerk. And then usually I lighten up. I mean, I don't get too crazy. I know everybody's like, oh, the shark story. I was bit by a shark or, or this and that. Um, if parents are around and a little kid asks, sometimes I might say, well, I didn't study very well in school. <laughs> and with your mom, like, you can thank me later when that kid's got the college scholarship because he's now petrified. If he doesn't study enough, he's gonna, his leg's going to fall off. <laughs> I mean, for us, it's, it's, uh, this program is called Name Tags, and Name Tags is about getting, up, getting beyond the labels that we right. put on somebody or you know, put on ourselves or somebody else. And, and in right. a lot of ways, that's, that's what, you know, that's what this thing is like, Hey, what happened to you? You know? And you're like, well, which time, you know, which I had somebody say to me at one point, I was, I was at an event and going down the elevator and this woman said to me, she said, we will cure you. And I was like, Hmm, all right. You know, and I knew well, I have. where she was going with it. I was like, well, which part, which part of me are you going to cure? 
because because you know I mean they're they're you know like can you cure like my ability to focus like I'd I'd love to be able to focus better if you could cure that that would be absolutely awesome you know right but you're thinking oh okay if you can walk then you're then you're good and so so you did say that you would be an extreme skier do you put skiing at Mike Wigley's up with the gold medal in in Nagano how do, how do those two, two things compare and how do skiing in a movie you tell us tell us what movies you've been in and what you've done because that was pretty cool stuff yeah it was it was it was really good um i had i was very fortunate and like i said i was naive and but a lot of things kind of aligned for me that really allowed me to succeed it is that story like you can't do it by yourself and it was absolutely true so what had happened was like i said i moved out to Vail, right i'm gonna go where you guys were the best guys in the world that's where i'm going so i was living living there and training there and probably because i announced that i was going to be an extreme skier but <laughs> but what greg menino again um he was you know the best guy in the world uh, as a stand-up one-legged skier. That's who I was chasing. That's who I wanted to be. He, very shortly, I think, after I moved there, blew out his knee. So I think the team, or at least he had been involved with Warren Miller films in the past. And they had contacted him and said, we're filming in Copper, which, for those that don't know, Copper and Vail, which is where I lived, they're like 20 minutes away. It's right next door, kind of. They were filming in Copper and they wanted him to be in the segment. He said, I can't do it. I blew out my knee. But there's this new guy who is a, he's a pretty good skier. Cause he, you know, he'd see me ski bumps and all that stuff. So like I said, I was always like taking those risks. So I get a, uh, I get a call. I, actually I came home living ski bum style with like four, four roommates. And there's a note on our counter that my roommate wrote that said, Max Burby from Warren Miller Films called, call him. Now in our living room, we had an endless winter poster, I think was the, the movie, on the wall, producer Max Burby. And I'm like, who my roommates like, pulled the name off the poster, like messing with me. And he's, anyways, long story, a little bit shorter. Um, they told me, no, this is legit. You gotta call this guy. And, and I did, and it was legit. And they said, yeah, we got your name from Greg. We're filming in Copper. We'd love to have you. You know, can you, can you come over? I'm like, when? Like, tomorrow morning. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So I went over there. Um, so, so hold on. Back up a little bit. Can you describe Warren Miller movies, Warren Miller, like the whole, the whole, you know, character of, of ski films? Yeah, Warren Miller films were like these iconic films um i would dare say they're probably the original ski films and warren miller himself you talk about taking risks and things of that sort like he his story he moved to sun valley idaho he lived in this little trailer in the, in the parking lot and was drawing caricatures selling them like cartoon pictures to people to tourists raised enough money got a camera started filming and making movies and he narrates during these movies and every year to this day, a new Warren Miller film comes out. 
And it's, and it's like the start of the ski season for most everybody, right? When it tours around, the Warren Miller film comes, it's like, okay, see, ski season yeah, is started. It's, it's, they're like starting now, like November. And it's like, there's these big events and at these theaters and everybody goes and, you know, ski enthusiasts are going and they're coming out of there charged and, and psyched to ski. There are locations all over the world. Um, so that was like the film. Now, since then, there's other film companies that do even more extreme stuff probably. But, but anyways, that was like the flagship premier movie maker. Well, he was a storyteller too, right? I mean, Warren just had the, he just had the dry wit and he would narrate every film. And, and you know, you'd get like the, the, the segment of the woman wearing the, the fur boots or whatever, and, and one's barking at another in the, uh, you know, in the movie kind of thing, obviously with the voiceover or whatever. So, so it was funny stuff where like the guy at the top of the lift, the lift attendant who everybody's falling and he's like clearing people out of the way. And, and so there's a funny part, but then there's an extreme part. And they also, they showed them on Vail television, all the old ones on a yes. loop you would see all of them on the local TV, the local cable television channel. So you got asked to be part of the industry. Like the, like this is it, this is as big as it gets. So yes, and, and so how this all plays out and, and is part of what allowed me to succeed is I get this call, I go over there and they don't, they don't know me at all. Like, you know, and they, we're, we're skiing and the whole, the whole first part, here's, here's one thing too, for people that are watching these ski films, you think, Oh, it's great. It's like, you get to ski all day long and get paid. And the very first scene that I did, we literally hiked. It was practically a snowbank. I mean, it was probably 40 feet. It was above the lift. Nobody in the world would ski there because it was like a snow drift, but the lighting was right and everything else. And they literally had us hiking up to the top of this and making two, maybe three turns, like hop turns almost. And this wind would kick up the snow and they're filming in a great shot. So first of all, they kept telling me, they kept giving me these outs, like you don't have to hike up there. That's gonna be a pain. Cause I'm on, you know, crutches basically and a single boot and hiking up deep, waist deep snow is not easy. <clears throat> like I'm doing, I'm not, I'm kind of not gonna say no to anything. So I kept doing that, they got some shots. Later on, we go, they had made this big jump. Um, it was a good sized jump. And these guys are throwing helicopters, 720s. And, and at the time, those were like, wow. Uh, and they tell me again, yeah, now kids are doing like triple backflips. And yeah, right. Well, they tell me again, like, you don't have to jump, you don't have to do this. Like, we'll have plenty of other sections where we can use you and everything else. And I'm like, I'll hit it. <laughs> like, oh, man. all right. So, yeah, and I ski into this thing, and I am, I am just launching myself, <laughs> just skying and, and kind of landing, but kind of landing. But what's the mentality? So you're launching this thing, and I mean, there's there's the the celluloid guts, right, or whatever they call it. You know, celluloid balls, maybe, um, where you're. Oh, that courage. You, you get the Kodak courage, right? Where it's like they stick a camera in your face and you're going to do something that you never would have done. Was it that or was it like, this is my shot? Like, this is it? This is the big time? 
it was a little bit of both. And, and, and again, I grew up, like I, like I said, I skied with all these snowboards. That's what we did. That's what we did all day long was go and like hit one jump 15 times. And, you know, growing up in the East, we ski, it's, there's ice back here. It, everything hurts. It's hard, right? You know, the snow out there is perfect. Like you can literally just throw yourself off of this thing, 43 through the air, and just man, like land in the snow and you'd be fine. Even if you don't land it, you're still okay. Nothing's, nothing's really bad going to happen to you. Yeah. I knew the snow would be soft. And so I hit this thing multiple times. And, and at the end of the day, at the end of the filming, two or three days later, um, they asked me a question and I knew when they asked me, it was a very important question because they kind of ask you all these interview questions. And they said, if you can ski anywhere in the world, where would you want to ski? And I'm like, they're asking me this for a reason. And I said, well, I've never been helicopter skiing. And I said, that looks like it would be unbelievable. And so they, sure enough, they called me like a few months later and said, hey, we want to use you and somebody else for a whole segment. Um, we're going to go to Mike Wigley's like world premier helicopter skiing resort up in, in BC. Uh, and, and they kind of even let me pick who I, who I wanted to bring. And I, I ended up going and saying, you know, Monty would be a good a good sidekick for this whole thing. Hold on, and, and explain that to a certain extent. Monty would be a good sidekick. You guys have the same size feet, right? So, or same size foot. So, and you were both on Rosignol when you were skiing and you would share a pair of boots, right? Isn't that, isn't that how it worked? Well, even, and even that, the Rosignol sponsorship came from the Warren Miller thing because I had filmed with Max Burby and I was skiing in Vail after that film. And all of a sudden somebody yells at me from the chair and like, Jason, you know, very recognizable, not a lot of one-legged guys out there. And it's, it's Max Burby with this guy, George Cooperthwaite, who was, um, I think, head of Rosignol, like Softwood, maybe, or something like that. Very high up in Rosignol. You know, meet us at the bottom. So I end up skiing with them for the day. Ask me, do you have a ski sponsor? No, I've been trying to get that. I've been trying to you know, work one out. We got a ski sponsorship through him because of that. Um, and which now, I mean, as you know, I mean, anybody that ski races, ski racing is so expensive. And having the right gear, and like I had training, trainers and racers, and I was fully, you know, full, full sponsorship. Right. Yes, Monty and I, our birthdays are less than a month apart. We're the same age. I'm missing my left leg above the knee. He's missing his right leg above the knee. We both have the same size feet. I ended up kind of introducing him to the Rosie guy and he, he switched brands and was sponsored by them as well. So yes, we got a, one pair of boots that we shared uh, and but Joe, he's like, kind of like my Siamese twin. And to this day, he's like one of my best friends. He's, he's just a great guy. Taught me a lot um, without knowing it, I think, adjusting after my accident. Um, so yeah. And you know, you talk about, like you said, this is name tags and, and, being labeled and it's a bit of a you know a, a struggle when you're immediately your life changes you know I grew up and identified with myself as an athlete and everything else and, and all of a sudden that completely changes and, and now I'm now I'm quote-unquote disabled and I nobody wants to be that 
that, you know, so I want to be an athlete. I want to do what I want to do. And I want to live my life as normal as I possibly can. And the other thing was, I mean, I've never, and you know, Monty, well, like, is there anybody you've ever met that's more comfortable in their skin than him? Right. You know, and, and just flat out funny too. And, and people are attracted to that. Um, and I think that's important. And when I work with, so everybody I work with now has gone through some sort of life changing experience or everybody I work with is missing a limb, you know? And I, it's one of the things that I learned from Monty. It's like, it's kind of, it's how you present yourself in a sense, you know, think about it. This, if you, if you're in school and you go into the cafeteria and there's a kid that's sitting there in the corner, that's, you know, kind of ho-hum and, like you might go over there to try to consult. Hey, are you okay? You're not necessarily attracted to that versus the kid that everybody's like laughing and having a good time and, and kind of the life of the party. It's like, I want to be over there. You know, I want to be part of that. And that was Monty. He was always, yeah, it's very funny, very comfortable in his skin. Never seemed, never seemingly self-conscious or embarrassed or, or, anything like that and um and i kind of thought it's like it was an eye opener because i spent a lot of years staying away from adaptive sports because i i'm not disabled yeah. um that label i'm not taking that label that name tag uh so but then i started to realize i had met monty and guys like you and, and sarah and, and greg menino like these are these are real deal athletes. Like they're not just someone that's, you know, that ended up in this scenario. Oh, I'll learn how to ski. And it's, that's another thing I'd like to tell people is like, whatever is in inside of you, whatever your makeup is prior to the injury, that really doesn't, that's still in you. That doesn't necessarily change. If you're a father, you're still a father. If you're a, you know, like, if you're an athlete, you're still an athlete. You, know, you, you may have to adapt. I love the name adaptive sports these days because I think it's the most accurate description of, of what we do uh, because you're doing the same thing. You're just figuring out a different way to do it. And, you know, disabled sports. It's like um, Paul Martin, who's a friend of mine, is, and I think you know him as well, missing his leg below the knee, car accident he's done iron hawaii iron man like five times so 112 mile bike full marathon 26 miles three mile swim he tells a story about being in the competition and some german guy he passes passes this german guy on a prosthetic leg and this german guy as he goes by him says in a very thick arnold schwarzenegger leg accident or accident rather disabled my ass you know it's like he's passing him you know so that's but the, the point is he's an athlete. He's a competitor. The shell didn't change that. He, he figured out a way to, to do what he loved doing. So you brought Monty up to, up to Mike Wigley's. And so Mike Wigley's was, I mean, Mike, they were like the original helicopter skiing, right? The original heli skiing. Is that true? I believe so. You know, he was an Austrian guy and they relocated, they found this plot of land in Canada and they started this operation and um, it still exists. And it, it, 
it is, there's plenty of other helicopter operations now, but this one's like five star. Like the lodging and the housing is unbelievably beautiful. The, you know, the little cabins that you stayed in, they had old A-frame ones, but then they had the new cabins, which, you know, you lived in Vail. So I was, if you put that house on Vail, it would be a multi-million dollar home. The, the bank every night was, you know, they're serving crab and prime rib and, you know, like lobster. And it was, it was unbelievable. So one, the conditions are phenomenal. It's just like you get in this helicopter, you lift off, off your own little private helicopter pad in front of your little private cabin, and it drops you off on the top of these mountains. And, and even that, that experience in and of itself was unbelievable because the helicopter leaves and it's dead silent and you see nothing but snow covered peaks for any way you look, there's no end to it. And it's like, wow, if they don't come back, <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> this is kind of like growing up in New Hampshire, right? It's the same, yeah. same kind yeah. of thing, like for me growing up back in Mount Tom and, and yeah. those kinds of things in Massachusetts. So you're, you're in the middle of the bugaboos. It is just pristine powder. The funny thing also too in the movie because because it's like you know this is this is like this is like that that movie armageddon right where these guys are going to go go shoot the meteor and and so you get out of the the helicopter and it's like we're the coolest beings on on earth and you guys are pulling that off but you're also pulling that off hopping along on one foot so you've got like the cool guy walk but it's a hop yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and I, we both have had the opportunity to ski with some of the, some of the best skiers in the world, um, <clears throat> disabled and able-bodied. Uh, and you, you automatically kind of get that respect, you know, and I, I talk about guys like you and to this day, it's like, again, people complaining about stuff. Oh, I can't carry my skis. I'm like, you haven't seen anything until you've seen someone like Chris like reeling himself in his chair through a parking lot in three inches of nasty slush with, you know, two pairs of downhill skis under his chin. And, and, and it's, yeah, so, I mean, you automatically, it's just like, okay, that guy's, that guy's badass. <laughs> I apologize for the language. I'm trying not to go Bobby McMullen level with the F-bombs, but. What's so? What did they make of you? Because you were skiing, uh, you're skiing with Monty, but there were some other. There was a guide there. There was so. How's how's the protocol work on this? Where they're like, hey, look, uh, this is where you can go, or this is where you can't go, or go wherever you want to go. How did it work? Uh, there was, you know, there was definitely precautions. I mean, the, the guides that they have there are, are top notch. They're looking at snowpack because it is. It's it's. It's dangerous. And in one of those films, so you asked what films, I was in Snow Riders, Snow Riders 2, Free Riders, and 50. So it was a, it was a series of four, four films in a row. They were pretty creative with their names. <laughs> um, but in one of them, uh, I'm coming down, a, it's a pretty steep face and the top probably six inches of snow starts sloughing off. And basically what that means is it's almost like an avalanche. Um, 
if it had gone deeper, it would have been an avalanche. But when it, the top layer is so if it's six inches of snow, all of a sudden that's sliding as fast as you're going, maybe even faster. But um, and as I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is gonna be a great shot, you know. <laughs> but but it didn't get too too bad. And they so they're constantly kind of like, yeah, that's too risky. And I think they realize that um, that that we could have gotten probably in trouble relatively quick. But again, if you see the footage, it's not, it's not tame by any means. Uh, there's some pretty steep stuff and, and but they're, they're pretty safe. And those guides, you know, they make their living keeping, providing people with an unbelievable ski experience and keeping them safe. But we got to go places where the general, general public wouldn't go, if you will. That's awesome. And you, you, you launched some pretty big stuff too, right? I mean, dropping like some 30, 40 footers kind of thing. Yeah. I would, I would say the one was easily, I would say it was probably between, yeah, it's probably 40, 45 feet, which is inaccurate. 40, 45 feet. People are like, Oh, it's a 50 foot cliff. You're like, yeah, no, that's like 30. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a good size. Um, I actually, again, talk about risks and I got lucky on that. And I think I had sent you a clip and it's in that, the, the one that I drop. And if you freeze it, just at the right moment when I land, there's actually a rock the size of a couch, like probably three feet next to me. So if I had gone like three feet to the left, I pretty much would have landed on that rock. And it was kind of, yeah, so but I didn't. Um, so yeah, it was, some, it was pretty big stuff. And honestly, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, it was, a, it was a good size. I haven't seen many other one-leggers do something that big, I suppose, but the snow was perfect, soft landing. So we've talked about your relationship with your son and you're passing on and, and in a lot of ways, you've got that same testosterone thing where you're, where you're passing that on to him. And, and to a certain extent, how, how is it with a daughter? You're raising a daughter as well. Is that that different? Does that bring out something different in you? Um, I suppose you know, out of out of our family, I would say she's the best one. Like she's really, she's yeah, she's pretty. Um, she's always she's like always happy for one thing, and she has a, just a great attitude, and she's pretty conscious of people and they're, you know, and she's very helpful and, and is conscious of people's emotions and she picks up on stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, so she's, she's great. And the other thing is I'm very lucky, like, you know, my son, again, he's 16 now. And at this point, you know, you get to that age where he's, he's hanging with his friends probably more than, more than I see him these days. But I was, very lucky that he, he loves skiing. He loves mountain biking. Like he loves everything that I love. And that's, that's very lucky. He could have been, you know, he could have hated that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you get that bond. The things yeah, that you so, love that you can continue to do, even if he's like, ah, oh, dad's not that cool now, but every once in a while you can be, you can be cool. Are you still, are you still cool with your daughter too? Does she think you're cool or? 
How does that yeah, work? Yeah, I think so. And she, and she ski races as well. And absolutely loves ski racing. And she loves water skiing. And I, I enjoy that as well. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. And she's getting to that age now where, like I said, she just turned 13. She's in eighth grade. And, and all of a sudden, it's just like, you know, seems to be in the bathroom a little bit more. And the, uh, the, out, the outfits are a little bit more put together. And, you know, where... You're talking about your outfits? No. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so, like, this summer, you know, I, like I said, I like water skiing. I love water skiing, and, and we have a boat. And unfortunately, with Lake Sunapee, you got to be up early, 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 because there's so many boats on the lake that it, it gets rough very quick. And she would always be down for, like, okay, we're going to leave the house at 6, 6.30. Okay. She'll be up, like, making her breakfast, ready to go. And um, so <clears throat> she loves it. And she loves ski racing and skiing. And that's – and so, I'm, again, I'm very, very fortunate that I have kids that enjoy the things that I enjoy. And that's – yeah, what, what more can you ask for? I just try, I try not to screw them up. Well, it's also a good excuse for you to continue to stay in shape as you're getting older to be able to share these these experiences with your kids. Have you noticed a little little slowing down or have they noticed a little slowing down in dad? Yeah, a little bit. This this year, you know, with the COVID and everything else, so I downhill mountain bike as well. And, um, and I'm, that's some high risk stuff that I enjoy doing. Although this year I really haven't been riding that much. Part of it is, again, the COVID thing and because I'm, downhilling that means i'm riding a chair lift up and it's all gravity based stuff so you're there's lift lines and and the other thing is you know my son now is is riding with other other people and and uh and well not necessarily other people but it's not quite as fun as it's been so i've backed off that a little bit i'm not not doing that quite as much and uh yeah things are starting to hurt <laughs> like all the time <laughs> so so that's that's happened uh you don't you don't bounce back quite as much but i still ski like a madman you know but the strength's not quite there the strength's not quite there you just have to be more technically sound that's the way it goes you just have to ski well that old move of of getting thrown in the back seat and actually dragging my rear on the ground and being able to actually muscle pop right back up and, and keep going if I get to that position now, I'm, I'm kind of staying there. <laughs> I'm not popping back up. So, so as a prosthetist, we'll get you out on this one. This will be the last question. As a prosthetist, what's, what's the message? Is there a message that you give to your clients, like people who, you know, who are coming in, who are new, who are getting their first leg? Is there a message that you, can, that you give to them? I mean, it's a, it's a combination of all those things that, that we were talking about. And like I said, you know, I'm, it, it's a, it's a life-changing experience and I'm, I'm not only working with, with that person, but sometimes it's their family members. Sometimes you have the dad that comes in and he's got the 13 year old daughter or the 10 year old daughter that, well, my dad was my soccer coach and, and now what? And it's like, yeah, he, he's, he's still going to be your dad. Like, and that's what I mean. Whatever was there before is, is still there. So, that's part of the message. The other part is that you, that you have to have that, that inner drive. And you will be able to do most of 
Most all the things that you like doing before, you might have to do them differently, and that might be frustrating, but it's, it really is when you, you know, you look at what we see in the media these days in adaptive sports. I mean, look at, you know, that guy, Trevor, he's a model skier. He's doing oh, yeah, yeah, Trevor, um, uh, Trevor, Trevor. Kennedy. He's an answer guy. Who, who launched off of Corbett's. Yes. Yes. Like, can you even imagine? Now, part of it, and like I said, to be fair, like what the, the, the shadow that you were in, you would have like triple, quadruple front flipped off of that first impact and then down in the basin by the time you hit the second time. So the equipment's way better. But he's, it's unbelievable. He bounced probably like 10 feet off the ground. I mean, oh, yeah. he went off of off that what and that's like a 30, 40 foot drop or whatever. Yeah. And he bounced like double bounce landed, bounced, and then and was like 10 feet in the air. Yeah, I'm not taking anything away from him. I mean, the the technology is definitely better. I mean, he's yeah. skiing in a Dynaxis, which which is what I'm skiing in, and I'm pretty sure he is. And uh and he skis on vocal, which you know that that's got to help him as well. well. You can do that now. Is what you're no, saying. no, 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 no. I'm I'm glad that this young kid is out there ripping it up and doing yeah. it. And yeah, I mean, you see some of the things people are pushing it, but that's also it, it's kind of the generational thing, isn't it? That you you stand on the shoulders of those who went before you, and you hope to push it a little bit further. But yeah, now looking at it, I'm going, um glad i'm old i don't know if i want if i would have wanted to try that stuff yeah i mean it is it's it is unbelievable and you're right it, it is what people did before and, and uh but yeah honestly you know with with people that are going through this type of thing it's it's, it's it doesn't you can't let it define you yes you you've been given an extra challenge and, and you just have to learn to kind of adapt and overcome that to the best that you can and you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. But, you know, I, I try to lead by an example and say, look, I still live a pretty, a pretty normal lifestyle. And that's, that's not necessarily over. I don't know if it's normal. It's probably abnormal, right? I mean, probably you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're doing more than 95% of the people out there and, and thoroughly enjoying what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's probably there's there's probably some truth to that, but I mean, I guess the point is when I say normal, it's 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 what I choose to do. You know, it's not I'm not saying oh I can't do that. You know, and, and the accomplishments that that I have had and that you've had, and it's it's that stuff is is possible. It takes a lot of drive. It takes a lot of commitment, and you just you know that old never give up thing is it's kind of cliche, but. You touched on something earlier, which I think is is really important. It is is that fear, feel, fear of failure, is probably the most crippling thing that that there is. You have to, if you talk to any successful business person, generally it's like, yeah, I had three failed businesses prior to this happening. Uh, every athlete, Bodie Miller, again talked about in his talks, like I probably crashed more than anybody else on the world cup kind of thing. And that's, you know, but he knew and he said, you know, that wasn't a failure. I learned something from that. And everybody, again, it's cliche. Everybody does fail and you just, it's, it's going to happen. Embrace it, try to learn from it and, and, 
and keep going. You know, it's, it's, that's all you can do. Yeah. That is, that is the biggest obstacle, isn't it? If you let the fear stop you, let yeah. the fear of failure stop you. You're never, you're guaranteed not yeah. to do anything. Yeah. There's a, there's a book called um, fearless and it's about uh, a Navy seal. Uh, his name was Adam Brown, I think. And it's, it's not a difficult read. You, you should read it. It is unbelievable the, the, what this guy goes through. I mean, he literally is, was, was a drug addict at one point. And the fact that he even got into the military at all is absolutely amazing. But he was kind of given a break. Uh, and it, it literally was just a, a never give up kind of thing. He ended up getting shot. I think he, like part of his finger's hand was shot off his shooting hand and he was a sniper. So he learned to shoot with his other hand and still was like dominant top marksman lost sight in the eye that he was supposed to use to look down his sniper rifle. And it's, it's crazy. It's like, like it's worth reading. It's un, unbelievable. Uh, but that's it. It's like every, every challenge you just like, all right, I'm going to do this differently, but I'm going to do it. That is awesome. Well, well certainly the, the fear can, can prevent you from doing what you want to do. Is, is great wisdom, but you also gave us a great perspective earlier on when you said, everybody's gonna be miserable. And if I can convince myself that I'm not gonna be miserable, I have an advantage. And you, you did go back to, to rain, skiing in the rain and having grown up in New England, that was, I always felt like that was an opportunity. Skiing in the rain, it was an opportunity that I might get a chance to beat somebody that I'd never beaten before and realize, I might be able to actually beat this person because he might think, hey, I'm not, I'm not giving him my all. This is rain. I'm, it's miserable. And I'm like, I love it. You know, and it's like, if I can figure out a way to love it, that is absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing your story, sharing your wisdom with us. For our audience, this uh, clip with, with Jason, our podcast will be on the One Revolution channel. Uh, after this, you can go and watch the whole thing. You can watch it. It'll be archived there. It will also be on the One Revolution channel on YouTube. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Jason, for giving us your time. Now you can go back and hang out with your family. Maybe your son will even be home. And thanks again. And look forward to skiing with you sometime in the future. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Chris. Great seeing you. And thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in and, and listening. Take care. Thanks a lot.